welcome to the Weirdly Specific Podcast. My name is Alyssa Meraki. Each week, myself and a guest come to the table with an item or experience to discuss, unpack, or digest. It could be good, it could be bad, but no matter what, it's bound to be Weirdly Specific. listeners and welcome back to the Weirdly Specific Podcast. My name is Alyssa Meraki and today my special guest is my friend Melissa. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Do you want to tell folks a little bit about you? Yeah, this was, I anticipated this actually being the hardest question to answer, honestly. Um, And it reminds (laughs) me of how Oprah had this as one of her favorite questions to ask people, which is just, who are you really? Um, And I think it's a really interesting question. So um, I was very careful with how I wanted to kind of define myself and explain who I am. But um, I'll start with just saying that I'm 28 years old. I live in Chicago and I'm from a northern suburb of Chicago. Um, For about four years, I lived in Minnesota after graduating at UW-Madison. I studied business there. Um, And so I actually work in marketing consumer insights right now, which is basically my dream job. I absolutely love what I do, and we'll probably end up talking quite a bit about that a little bit later. Um, But in my free time, I'm usually, if I'm not in school, because I'm also actually getting my MBA part-time right now um, at school here in Chicago, So if I'm not in classes in the evening, then you will likely find me hanging out with my mom, who still lives in our home that I grew up in, um, or some of my friends that are all, almost all of them in Chicago, which is awesome as well. Um, And we're probably doing something like going on a long walk, uh, because I really enjoy doing that, as does my mom, Um, or, you know, trying new restaurants, um, or also in the gym, which is how I originally found you and your Instagram, um, because I really got into fitness um, about, I mean, technically four years ago is when it really got intense, um, in terms of a passion of mine. As a result, I ended up also becoming certified through ACSM as a personal trainer. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I also kind of consider myself an activist, um, just because I, politics have always been a really important part of my life, um, as well. And yeah. Wow. 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 I like, I, that is the most like put together organized. I know I love it. I like, that's so awesome. Um, you know, future interview guests take note. That's how you do an intro, right? I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's interesting, right? Because I was going to say we met each other, I think through fitness as many of the guests that I've had on, you know, um, but I think the way that you and I have bonded is through thinking critically about society and thinking about mm-hmm. representations of women in society and just, books and literature and learning and growth. And so, I mean, you've talked about, or you at least you've touched on a lot of different things that kind of, you know, drive you and inspire you. So I guess I wanted to ask like about, you know, marketing and observing, you know, popular culture and business. And how do you think that informs, you know, even your politics? How do those things overlap? Like, what do you see in the work that you do overlapping with your interests as it pertains to advocacy and as it pertains to feminism and things like that. Exactly. Totally. I'm so lucky that I am able to do what I do, um, which is basically advising companies and advertising agencies on how to better understand consumers. Um, And we do it, my company does it really differently than 
and how other market research firms do it. So we take what I like to call an empathetic approach to market research. Um, so we actually use a values-based methodology, and I feel like you would love <laughs> like taking this. Um, it's kind of a survey that we do. It's about 45 minutes, and half of it is dedicated just to values. So we show consumers value statements, and then on a scale of one to seven, one being this value does not describe me at all, up to seven being this value describes me exactly, our consumers get to rank that resonance um, for that value. So the reason I think it's really cool is because I'm not telling companies, I mean, I also do have to look at this data, but I'm not really telling them um, you know, a series of purchase decisions that a certain type of consumer is making. Instead, I'm telling them what's actually important to the consumers that they care about, um, which I think is really cool. And I absolutely, I mean, my biggest thing is people. I love people. I'm fascinated by them. So this podcast was just so up my alley. And I remember when you put the word out that this was the idea, the whole just specific interests or quirks, um, because I love knowing people's quirks. That's my favorite thing to ask people is just like, what's your weirdest thing <laughs> that you do? Um, I discovered some new really great ones on Saturday at my friend's birthday party. Um, I'm just like always collecting <laughs> these quirks because they're fascinating. It's so, whoa, it's so interesting you just said that because I, in the past I've been asked like, what do you collect? And I had to think like really carefully about it. And I mean, sure, I collect like Lululemon pants, right? I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's right. But, but that's like a collection right like I don't I don't necessarily have a collection of things I guess maybe I have a collection of like tiny forks and tiny spoons but Love that's that. just like by nature because I like them but wh when I really thought carefully about what I collect I think what I collect are like quirky weird stories mm -hmm. which is exactly why I did this podcast because I too am fascinated by these tiny things that become modus operandum, like that become the ways in which we operate and navigate through the world based upon these very little things. I mean, yes, we have core values, but mm -hmm. it's the small things that sculpt and shape us into these really nuanced beings. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's those really unique moments that create this whole human experience. And I love the whole idea of, you know, you are unique, just like everybody else. Um, because yeah. it, I mean, it's a really interesting contradiction or juxtaposition in the sense that sometimes it's really discouraging because it's like, okay, we're not all, you know, these snowflakes that are super intricate because everyone else is as well. But at the same time, I mean, that's what makes life so interesting and, and complex and why it's awesome to hear other people's stories. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, you find these really random quirks and interesting things, but they're not as random as you might think, which is really empowering that there's kind of almost this collective consciousness um, in that. But yeah, I mean, it's really cool. And I mean, one thing I also really wanted to talk to you about, because I think this is kind of, it's something that I run into as a challenge, I'd say, in this job is that I do love my job. Um, but at the same time, it's obviously a little bit fueling capitalism, right? And um, sure, absolutely. Is, is necessary in some ways, but in other ways, my ideal world is actually a lot more socialist. Um, so it, it's a little bit difficult for me at times to grapple with that fact. And um, I I don't know, just reading things like Bad Feminist, which was something you recommended, um, and just hearing Roxanne Gay talk about how she doesn't live out, you know, the ideal um, feminist behaviors all the time, stuff like that, and just kind of living within those contradictions a little bit um, and making peace with some yeah, of those. Sure has been really interesting. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So you're saying that like, you know, you've got this, and I hear you, right. I work for (laughs) the driver of capitalism in the world, right? Like, I mean, Apple is one of like the biggest companies in the world. And, you know, I'm really proud to be a a part of a company rather that like we have like massive celebrations for just, you know, this past week was transgender day of visibility and Mm -hmm. we donate millions and millions of dollars to like social justice issues. And like, we're all about inclusion. I've never once experienced a moment of sexism at my workplace, Mm -hmm. honestly, like never once, like, you know, that I've actually, and I'm like hyper conscious of it. Right. right? But, but in the same sense, right. It's like this idea of capitalism, which is extremely Mm anti-feminist, which is extremely anti people of color, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like anti anything that's not cis and straight and white. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you're right. There's this, this aspect of navigating through identifying that there are contradictions in our lives and doing the best with what we can. You know, I, I'm a married woman. Like I, I live within an institution that is highly charged (laughs) with patriarchal connotations. Right. (laughs) And, you know, bell hooks said it doesn't matter really like how egalitarian and you want your relationship to be like every day you have to wake up and make choices that, like push back against patriarchy and it's very easy i think to slip into the privileges you have within capitalism totally. especially as a white person like for myself right capitalism and just whiteness in general aims to benefit me at all points and not just benefit me but it stands to oppress other people to benefit mm-hmm. me and i i wonder so i mean like what are your thoughts on that like how do you think about that and how do you navigate through that on a daily basis yeah so the way i've kind of come to justify it and kind of explain it to myself because I, I think that's basically what it is in a very selfish way because i do love this job and um i really do like to think that i make a difference is just that um so some of the spaces that i cover are things like beauty millennials retail and health and wellness so um when i my gosh (laughs) those are the spaces huh like that's wild i know so i mean looking at your instagram post the other day about your hair and just i was reading the comment section and reading what people are saying about their curl patterns and stuff like that was super fascinating to me and those are the types of things i share with clients and say you know these are the conversations that consumers are having and these are the ideas that they want brands to talk more about but the way that i end up justifying it to myself is just the fact that so especially in the beauty space though I am white I really prioritize and hope um, that I am an advocate and that I am an ally for people of color Um, and so when I talk to these clients I show them videos like Jackie Ina's video that Adrian posted the other day on Instagram and was talking about you know that important difference between pandering and tokenism and actually speaking to people of color and having an assortment and an offering for them and so I, I was literally just talking to a client about this and I was telling them it's not enough to just have a few people of color in your brand imagery you truly need to have depth in your shade assortment you truly need to be posting people of color in your social media feed Um, if you truly want to be an ally and if you really want to be a brand that stands up for people of color this is how you need to do it so I am not only an advisor but I do kind of consider myself an educator in that way Um, and that's how I've justified it is hopefully I am leading to more representation and more advocacy and allyship um, on behalf of brands, not just so that they're earning money from consumers, because obviously that's not really my priority, even though that's technically my job, but really to actually resonate and to provide relatable messaging for consumers, because I, I do really care about the human experience and I want everybody to have 
as equal of one as possible, even though I'm very much aware that that's not really possible. This is hopefully my way of contributing a little bit, at least in the corporate arena. Wow. So what I'm hearing you saying then is that like you're leveraging this space that you have, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could just go about your daily job, what you normally do, help educate your clients about how they can make more money on the people that they sell products to, right? right? Or you could take this space to learn, to learn from what people are actually struggling with, wrestling with, and to educate yourself on why inclusion and representation is important and to say, okay, like me as a white person, like what can I do in this space? Mm -hmm. Like, let me, you know, leverage this privilege and this platform that I have to then speak to people, but to share with them, not so that they can just tokenize, right? right? Like the, the, the visage of a person of color, but instead say like, no, like you need to understand folks and and what they actually want. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's true. I, I do think that, you know, when you look at brands like I don't even like, I'm just, I'll use Dobar Donuts because that's a brand that I'm associated with, right? Like when I look at them and I look at why they're so successful and how they've grown so quickly, it honestly is because of relatability. Mm -hmm. Like this is a lot to do with um, something that in instructional design that we call design thinking. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what we think about is literally when you go into um, like choosing a character for your brand marketing, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you, you actually write a story ahead of time. Like, who is this person? Where did they go to college? What do they do? Do they have kids? Like what, you know, what do they do on the weekends? Mm -hmm. You write this entire story about them and you make them a real human being to yourself before you start writing a story about how they can sell the product in your marketing or sell the product in your, um, like in our case, we're thinking about um, like teaching on tools or processes or teaching teaching about a certain concept and, um, it makes it real. So it's, it's showing rather than telling. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm getting on a tangent here. Right. But no, I just, I, what, I, what I'm yeah. saying is, yeah, but I guess, you know, there's that. And then there's this other piece I think that you're touching on, which is like the idea of like education knowledge. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? 100%. Like, like, what do you think about? Cause I, you know, obviously you're still in school as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a lifelong learner. I like, I'm going to go for another certificate program probably pretty oh soon God. here. Um, I mean, I know it's like, I miss school. I love school. I want, I want to be graded on something, you know? Yeah. So how does like, how does education versus knowledge show up in your life? You think? Oh, that's so interesting. Um, well, education to me feels a little bit like theoretical, Whereas knowledge feels a little bit more practical and more kind of experience based. Okay. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I, education feels a lot more like textbooky. It feels a little bit more universal to me and standardized, whereas knowledge feels like those intangibles. It feels like those moments that only another person could really impart on you. It's not necessarily something that you could read in a textbook. Um, and comes more from, I think, experience. So I think I can educate the brands that I work with and, and the companies that I work with via data points and sending them links to different articles, but I can impart some knowledge, hopefully, um, by sharing actual human stories or, you know, sharing certain dialogue. Um, I do think there's a fine line and maybe I'm flipping the two too. I don't, I don't know. Do you, how do you kind of differentiate between the two? Since, I mean, your background is in education. Yeah, yeah no, I think, um, I think educate, you're right. That education is oftentimes tinged with, um, this expectation of a curriculum or something that's standardized, mm -hmm. right? It's like, here is like 
the canon and I'm going to educate you on that. Um, but, and then, and then knowledge is something I think that we obtain through our own discourse and through, uh, continued like seeking after learning. And I always say like knowledge is power, right? Like uh, equipping yourself with a certain set of, um, premises, on which to predicate, I think, your belief system. So having that knowledge is really important. Um, education is a really tricky thing for me because I do think that it, oftentimes education is co-opted to manipulate mm -hmm. and it can be um, problematic because people are like, you know, I was educated on how business practices should work or I was educated on like this aspect of history or mm -hmm. this aspect of proper English. And then what happens is you, you form this hegemonic view of who is and is not educated. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, and then what it does is it serves to oppress folks who might not have had, might not have had access to that same education. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that we've got to be really careful sometimes about, um, like, I, like, let me give you an example. So like proper English, right? Like I'm using quotes right now, air <laughs> quotes. Um, I was taught, right. That you say like, I saw this happening. Mm -hmm. I saw a man walk down the street. Um, and I would have students in, in the past who would say, I seen him walk down the street. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And to me, based upon my education, based upon my understanding of the rules of English grammar, this is improper English, right? right? But in the same sense, this is a person's vernacular. This is, and oftentimes seen, like I seen him, mm -hmm. is associated with, you know, African-American vernacular English, right? Or um, oftentimes people of color will um, use this language or even use a word like ax instead of ask, mm -hmm. right? And in the past, like through my whiteness and through my education, I was like told that this was wrong. And then it only, but that's education versus knowledge and understanding the context mm -hmm. of no, like this is a way that a person speaks based upon who they are and that you can't use education to oppress or to shame the language that someone else uses. So it's just been a really big learning experience for me to come from an academic education background and move more towards, okay, but what does knowledge mean? How do we construct it? How do we how do we get it in the first place? Like that's what hermeneutics is, which is like this development and this, like ob obtaining knowledge. So that's my whole spiel on it, I guess. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. I had written down while you were speaking to the idea of context and then you said it. So that was exactly what I was thinking is just that knowledge is kind of the contextual version of education, but education being a more squishy concept um, in, in this current definition, rather than the idea of education being something more tangible, something more privileged for sure. And I think too, just the idea of prescriptive versus descriptive, um, which was an idea I learned about in my entrepreneurship yeah. class from last quarter and education feels a lot more prescriptive, whereas knowledge feels a lot more descriptive. It feels a lot more kind of human centered, um, and individual and personalized, whereas, education feels more prescriptive, more kind of universally coded, um, and not as flexible, not as bendy for sure. I love it. I love it. You're rad. You're my favorite human. Oh my goodness. Well, anyways, I mean, okay. I don't understand why I've been, you know, watching your journey for four years, everything you post, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm sliding into her DMs again and I'm sliding again. Like, <laughs> You're like, here I yeah. am. Hi, yeah. me. I would like to discuss this. Sorry. <laughs> hey, I want to chat more. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you said this one thing. I like it. Let's talk yep, more. Exactly. Um, okay. Well, speaking of that,
again. So like when you were coming on, right, <laughs> when you were preparing to come on, like, could you give me just an example of maybe a couple things you thought about? And then we'll talk about your thing that you brought your weirdly specific. Thing. Yes. So I started thinking, I was a million miles a minute thinking about a lot of different things because I kind of collect these quirks. They're very interesting, all that to me. Um, so I kind of bucketed my, I guess I started realizing there were two themes basically um, to the things that I like and dislike. So um, one bucket was more kind of hygiene focused, I realized. Um, so there are things like, okay, this is really weird, but I do really like picking dandruff off of someone's head. Like it's like, God, you'd love me. You'd love me. My dry, dry, dry oh scalp. My God, I can't even imagine. Um, I, I like really love doing that. And then similarly with dogs that are shedding, I like to kind of comb the hair off of them. It's just very satisfying to me. Um, my God, you just come over to my house. You can pick my dandruff and just Leia sheds more than any dog I've ever met in my life. Seriously, so and your great. hair is so long. I mean, you guys must be kind of the, the hairiest, most dandruffy household, I would think. So, yeah. Truly, truly. With. Vacuum every day. <laughs> Kyle wants to die. Every day he's like, this is the worst. He's constantly vacuuming. Poor guy. Oh, my God. So that was like one, no pun intended, one strand um, that I was thinking through. And also, one thing, too, is I am such a germaphobe. So if I hear someone like coughing, if they're right near me, I, I'm very short. I'm like five, three and a half. So people tend to like breathe in my face as they walk by or like cough in my face. And I learned in eighth grade that you are way more likely to catch germs if you breathe through your mouth than through your nose because your nose has the whole filtration system. So when someone like coughs or sneezes near me, I only breathe through my nose for the first like 10 seconds after it happens. So those were like very right, good. some like weird hygiene things that I like and dislike. Um, but yeah, so those were some of the things I was thinking about. And then another thing that kind of falls into the theme of what I ended up settling on, um, two things that I don't like that all kind of fit together. So once I explain the actual thing that I landed on, then you'll, you'll see the theme, but like, um, two things I don't like that didn't necessarily make it in. One is the term personal brand. Um, it really bothers me, which is obviously ironic given the work that I do. Um, but I just, the reason I don't like it is because it doesn't allow for flexibility or inconsistencies. And I think, um, just human nature is naturally it, it, people are going to be more kind of flexible and fluid with their decisions and they're not always all going to make sense. Um, so this idea of personal brand just feels very limiting to me. Um, so I don't love that. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing I dislike, which is kind of on a related note, I don't love drinking. Like it's just not I don't like the taste of alcohol. I drink because it's social and I've found that it's really hard for other people to have a good time if I'm not drinking. But that's what bothers me is if people kind of project that whole, you know, why aren't you doing this? I'm doing it too. Um, and this was kind of weird to me, but this all kind of started in college. And I realized that even though politically I'm very liberal, socially, I kind of consider myself a libertarian, like not socially, politically, but socially with behaviors. I just want everyone to do what makes them happy and be good that way. But I don't mean that. I mean, I believe in like a lot of regulation because I'm a Democrat, but like, um, when it comes to just your social <laughs> life, I believe in being kind of a libertarian. Like if so-and-so is doing this, if it doesn't affect me, it shouldn't bother me. So if I'm not going to drink, you can still drink, no problem, whatever. So that was like one of my dislikes that I was going to think through too, but then I settled on something different. So yeah. <laughs> 
Oh man, those are so, like I, we could have like shows about literally every single one of these aspects. I love the. Oh my gosh, I love them. So, okay, now I'm like very excited because if those oh, didn't God. make the cut, then Melissa. <laughs> What is your weirdly specific no thing? Pressure. And now I don't even know if it's that good in comparison. I don't know. So um, my weirdly specific thing that I, I really love or really like um, is when someone, people in general, um, stick their tongue out when they're focusing or concentrating really hard on something and they don't realize that they're kind of sticking their tongue out and like moving it around. Um, and Oh, I love <laughs> this. Oh, you should see my face. <laughs> I love this. My brother does this. Okay, right? go on. It's so endearing. It's like the cutest thing, no matter who does it. I, I could really dislike them as a human, but if they start doing that when they're focusing on something, and it often happens for people when they reverse a car, they'll like put their arm on the passenger seat and then turn their head and stick their tongue out. It's like this very routine thing that so many people do, but it's so subconscious. Um, and the reason I really love it is because I do spend my whole day analyzing what consumers are aware of that they do, like what they're reporting to me that they're doing. So when I notice, you know, micro gestures or micro expressions, which I've always picked up on, I really love. Um, in college, my guy friends were always really annoyed at me because I would notice them making eyes at each other about someone walking by or whatever. And I'd be like, sorry, I caught that. Um, but I always catch those micro expressions and stuff like that. Um, so I just really, you know, people report to me what they think they're doing all the time. So I really like to look for what people don't necessarily know they're doing or what's involuntary. So so good. So good. So did you do any um, research at all and, and like when people do this most often or why would people do this or why this particular like response? No, or? I didn't do any research on that particular thing. I started researching micro expressions because um, a friend had shared that term with me in college because she's pretty similar. Um, I call her my twinsicle and or she calls me that too. And um, we both pick up on these micro expressions and we're very sensitive as a result. We always think people are mad at us or whatever because we're noticing these things. Um, so I started researching micro expressions a little bit when I was thinking about this um, podcast, but I didn't, no, I didn't actually research the tongue sticking out. And now I'm going to have to do that as follow-up because I should figure that out. Sure. So I've seen this happen multiple times, right? And again, like I'm not an expert on this and I, I, I do, I've seen the whole entire season of Lie to Me, which is all about micro expressions, oh my God, right? I look um, at that. But if you ever watch the show, yeah, it's based upon Paul Ekman and Paul Ekman's research, right? And I think there's some problems with it for sure, like, you know, especially in regards to him being able to determine if people are relying or not mm -hmm. based upon the ways in which they showed microexpressions. And so, like, there are definitely some, like, scientific issues mm -hmm. with that. But the show, the premise of the show is really interesting, um, though it might be far-fetched. But so, like, the tongue sticking out, right? A lot of times you see people do it. Um, like when they're concentrating, mm -hmm. right? But also, um, it's almost like a way to steady yourself. Or mm -hmm. I remember reading about this in the past where it's like, it's a way to like control something that feels unstable or something that feels difficult. It's like you put your tongue out and you bite on it or you, it's a way for you to like rebalance huh. yourself or recalibrate something because you don't have all use of your limbs at that point. So oftentimes when you see people stick their tongue out, it's when they're writing or when they're playing video games or when they're driving or when they're doing something that's like difficult that requires lots of concentration. And 
and they need an extra sort of stabilizer like steadying device yeah, yeah yeah so like I remember reading something about that because I was always interested because my brother when he would be doing something really difficult or uh, like in a mm -hmm. video game that is like when he would be trying to like scoot around a corner and like shoot this guy or whatever <laughs> right he would stick his tongue out and I always found it so interesting or you oftentimes see musicians yes. do it when they're trying to like hit some kind of solo that's difficult and they're moving quickly, right? It's a stabilizing kind of device. Yes, I love that so much. And it makes a lot of sense. I'm also really curious why some people do it in certain instances, but others don't. Like, I don't, I don't do it when I'm reversing a car, but I notice a lot of people doing it when they're reversing a car. So I guess maybe I feel more confident in my ability to reverse a car or I'm not as concentrated on it, which is a kind of scary thought um, as other people might be. I don't know. I wonder why some people need a stabilizer in that moment, whereas others don't. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, it's always like associated, at least if I'm trying to, you know, bucket it. I'm, I guess it's associated with something that you're doing, some kind of task that is... Uh, like difficult when you're trying to perform some sort of manual task that you couldn't just do without a tongue. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. yes. I don't know what it is. Like, right. It's just because you oftentimes see it when someone's like super yeah. trying to concentrate or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't know. I, now I'm going to have to go and do some of my own research. Like, obviously like I can't do right. it right now, but I'd be interested. Now I like want to stop the podcast <laughs> and go learn, but no, I mean, I won't. That's super interesting. I love too what you said about your whole life is, well, your whole role at least at, at work is talking to people about what they do observe or what they, you know, are interested in looking at uh, in terms of like consumers' observable mm -hmm. behavior, and and that instead, what fascinates you about this is that it's something that's unconscious, it's things that we do without even recognizing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, like we form habits that we um, like that we forget that we're even doing right so I wonder the ways in which that translates over to like <laughs> it reminds me of like Josie and the Pussycat it's like subliminal yeah. messaging oh my, right? if you want to talk that so I actually have a horrible habit of like chewing my cheeks um it's like my nervous habit and I never really knew it was a nervous habit because I did it so often I couldn't I was trying to journal and figure out when is this happening whatever but it's a really bad habit and I've tried several different things, but my most recent approach includes going to a hypnotherapist um, or going to a hypnotist. And so every night before bed now, I have to listen to him for 20 minutes, um, you know, putting me on the beach and being relaxed and this and that. Um, so talk about subliminal messaging. I'm still trying to figure out because I have my next appointment on Wednesday, which is my third one. But in my second one, he did another recording. And I'm, of course, trying to connect the dots between the first recording that he gave me and the second one. And what are the trigger words that he's putting in each one? And yeah. <laughs> you are ruining the I therapy, know, Melissa. I, I really am too overanalytical for it. But I'm trying and I'm buying into it. So, oh, yes. <laughs> Well, speaking of speaking of over analytical today, I actually showed up. I was supposed to have a meeting with my psychologist today, um, and for some reason, it was like a total accident. But she double booked mm -hmm. me with someone else, and here <laughs> I am, like Miss Anxiety, sure. who like suffers with like severe. And I go in, and they're like. I, I like this is me, the person who hates change, who hates surprises, oh. like who immediately I'm just like, oh God, did she forget about me? Oh God, was that person more important <laughs> right, than what me? What is this like, saying about my relationship with her? And yeah. Right. Does she not remember that this is my normal time every week? Like, 
I, oh my gosh. And I had to text Kyle and be like, that feel when your psychologist double books you and you think it's all because it's all your fault and that she hates you, even though it's probably just an honest mistake. And it's like, the, I sent him this picture of myself from below, like with my eyes up in the sky. Like, because <laughs> it's just the most awful experience, yeah. right? It's well, like, and then you probably got, yeah, oh, go ahead. again. Oh, I was just going to say, it's just like subconscious things that you like can't control. Yeah, and then you're you know? probably at a point where you're like, you know what, maybe she did this to me on purpose so that I'll acclimate to less structure. And, and then you're just down a total rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. She's exactly. doing this on purpose now. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm ruining the therapy. Yeah. Now I'm going to go in like next time I see her and I'm going to be like, oh, I see what you did. I, this is, a, this is a, a trick. I see. I, I, did I solve the... the How did I know? do with ambiguity and, oh and restructuring? Yes, 100%. Oh my God, maybe she did do that. Now I'm thinking about it. Because literally it's one of the things that we've talked about fairly often, like when plans change on me and I freak yeah. out about it. And oh my God, what if she did? It's a trap. Oh, it's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I loved your thing. Shall we talk Thank about you. my thing? Yes, I would love to hear it. Okay. So um, my favorite thing is actually something that I love as well. And Good. it's the relationships you form with folks in um, coffee shops or, you know, post offices or places that you frequent to do your errands on a weekly basis. Mm. And what I mean by that is that I have formed like long standing friendships and conversation acquaintanceships with folks that I see, like at, when I do my errands on a weekly basis. So I'll give you some examples. Um, mm -hmm. Right across the street from me is a mailing center. And it's like a, it's, it's sort of like, he does copy and printing and mailing and fingerprint if you need to do like the, you know, like the fingerprint check. And he does notary mm -hmm. services and he does money grams and he does everything. His name is Mr. Patel. And he's owned the store for years. And I've been going in there for years now, ever since I moved to the Bay Area. And we've just formed this friendship for like five years now. And I know his sons and where they go to college. And he, <laughs> he like knew me when I was dating my ex-boyfriend. And then oh I told gosh. him about when I told him about Kyle, when I met Kyle and I, I told him all about, you know, when we got engaged and then we got married and mm. he's gone, you know, back and forth on trips. And we've just formed this strong relationship over time. And he's always so kind. And I don't mean this like in a patronizing way at all, or like, it, no. it's just genuinely like we formed this great friendship and I love it. And, um, in the same sense that at my work, we have uh, a coffee shop. It's a really nice coffee shop in, in our building. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like owned by Apple and everything. And there's this guy who has been working there. I guess he's probably been there for like four months now. His name is Julio. And mm -hmm. he has quickly become literally one of my <laughs> favorite people. And oh. I go into work every day. So excited to see him. He mm -hmm. makes the best coffee drinks ever. We have awesome conversation we follow each other on instagram now <laughs> he has like a beautiful girlfriend they've been together for like seven years and oh. he's obsessed with kyle and i and we've just <laughs> formed such a great relationship and i think it's just beautiful to like these are not people that you like necessarily work with they're not people that are your family mm -hmm. they're people that you frequently see and that you if you're take the time to be kind and to get to know folks, you end up forming mm -hmm. these just beautiful, like really like happy relationships. And I think there's something to be said, you know, like actually Julio and I, Julio and I had a conversation where he's like, you know, some people here, they don't even see you. They don't, they have no idea what I look like. Probably they just, mm -hmm. they see a person who stands behind a counter who makes their drink 
and they're inpatient and that's all they see. Or mm -hmm. I'm sure it's the same thing with Mr. Patel where people just come in, they just want to get their stuff mailed, they have no interest in having a conversation and they just move on with their day. And I think that you are robbing yourself of the beauty of human interaction if you don't try to get to know people that you're going to see mm -hmm. often. I don't, I don't mean that every coffee shop you go into, you need to have strike up a conversation with the barista or <laughs> every grocery store when that person is right. bagging your groceries that you have to, you know, ask them if they want to come and, you know, like have game night with your friends, right? Like, that's not what I mean. It's just, I think that there's something to be said about just being kind and like seeking out those relationships with mm -hmm. folks where it makes sense. So that's something I really enjoy. I adore that. I love that so much, especially because the fact that you specified that it's those errands, it's those like small mundane tasks, because those typically are the tasks that we bring our worst to. If you think about it, those are the things waiting in line at the post office. No one's in a good mood typically in that situation or waiting for your coffee. You're not caffeinated yet. You're not your chipper self. So the fact that you're specifying that where people are likely oftentimes bringing a lot of their like baggage, their stress and dumping that instead of investing in the person behind the counter, I think it's really beautiful. And I, I love that you're bringing your best self to those small daily interactions because that's making a huge difference and it is connecting you to people you never would otherwise connect with because you wouldn't be bringing your best to those interactions otherwise. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like a really nice way of articulating it. I just, um, you know, I'm trying to think as you were just talking about other times when I've formed friendships, like mm -hmm. there is a guy who is a checker at the Safeway. That's, do you have Safeway in Chicago? What do you guys have? What's no, your, we have Mariano's and Jewel. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, yeah, no. So at Safeway, it's like, it's like our Vons or our Safeway or like our, like, Ralph's or if, I don't know if you've ever heard yeah. of any of these. Like, yeah. Or, yeah. So in any case, there's a guy um, and his name is Nathan and he is like a runner and he would always tell me about how he had a like a triathlon or a race coming up and then he had to go get like um, calf surgery or foot surgery or something or knee mm -hmm. surgery. I don't know um, exactly which surgery it was, but then he, like he was in recovery and he knew that I was super into fitness and that's how we struck up a car. And so like now every single time, that I see him, you know, we have a conversation and we, I ask him how his training is going. And you're right that like many times when you're in line at a grocery store, you're hungry, you're just going to get home. Yeah. You just want someone to bag up your groceries. You don't want to have a conversation, but again, you're missing out on these opportunities because then you brighten that person's day when you see them, mm -hmm. like they brighten your day because it brings you just this little reprieve of like excitement. You're like, Oh, I know this person, you know, and mm -hmm. I can, I can say hi to them. So you're right. Like, it's just, it's, this really nice moment where you could just be closed off, aloof, not interested in a conversation, or even like you said, bringing a bunch of baggage when you're at your worst and choosing to like see the good. Cause that's a human being. They're not just some person who is there like as a worker for you. I, I it's just like mm -hmm. that's skeevy, you know, I just, I think it's really important to be kind. And so once Julio had told me that folks were being like really unkind, I, you know, I've started to make a point of if I can, whenever I teach a class or something to like somehow weave it in like, yes. yeah, and you know how great the Cafe Max staff is and they're so wonderful. And, you know, like, I love it, that. like have a conversation with them and get to know them. I just, it's a way to 
I don't know, to pay forward kindness. So that's something that I really like. I love that. That was such a good one. <laughs> that's yeah. perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm so, so, so happy. So like in any case though, we had talked a little bit about like, you know, your interest in people and like, you know, your fascination with human beings in general. And we've, I think we've both talked about like really positive things, which yes. is, which is good. <laughs> um, but I did want to talk a little bit more, like you had mentioned this idea of like, the idea of like the personal brand, like that you didn't like that because I guess I wanted to ask a little bit more about that, even though maybe it's not, this is not the traditional structure of this show. Like <laughs> now let's talk about something you hate. Right. But instead it like, I, I was really kind of taken aback a little bit when you said that, because I've always sort of been taught that like, you need to establish your brand. Like what I was told that like coming into my work, like you need to establish who you are, what your brand is like, what people should come to you for, like, what is your, you know, your thing, I, I guess, like, that's what I've always been taught. So I wondered if, if that's what you're talking about, or if you're talking about something else. So could you say more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, it, it's more, it's definitely a personal thing versus like a brand. I think as a brand, you definitely want to be consistent. You definitely need to be reliable to consumers, but as a human, so I'm actually quite a black and white thinker, um, which is something that I'm always kind of trying to break out of. Um, cause I don't think it's, it's definitely a limiting factor to, to me as a person, I think. Um, but so I just think in general, the fact that I am such a black and white thinker and I just crave so much consistency, I love a good routine. I love all of that. I think that can hold me back in a lot of ways. And I've noticed it hold other people back as well, just in the sense that, I mean, consistency is a phenomenal thing for like quality control and reliability. But I just think as humans, we don't allow ourselves enough forgiveness if we confine ourselves to some sort of image or personal brand or, or just um, some sort of framework within which we're trying to always rationalize or articulate or explain away why we make certain decisions. Because I just think it's human nature to sometimes not know why you want to do something or um, it might be completely out of line or uncharacteristic for you to have some certain impulse. And I think it's important to allow ourselves some of those sometimes. Um, I don't know. I've just been having a lot of conversations with my female friends in particular and noticing um, that, I mean, I know you're this way too. We hold ourselves accountable for so many things because we're responsible people, which is great, but it can also mean that we end up putting blame on ourselves a little bit too much sometimes. Um, and I just think it's unfortunate because sometimes even if you're not bringing your best self to a situation, it's not to say you don't have control over it, but there are certain triggers or there are certain reasons why that might be happening. And if you feel yourself acting inconsistent with what you would consider your personal brand, I think you would tend to be harder on yourself than maybe you should. Um, so I don't know that it's just been something that I've been thinking a lot about. And I, I really want to encourage people to definitely demonstrate and embody accountability when it's appropriate. But at the same time, to allow yourself a little bit of space to be inconsistent, to make a decision that's outside your comfort zone or that's outside of how you would characterize yourself. Because I think, um, I, I don't know, I think we just are a little bit too hard on, hard on ourselves in a lot of ways. And it ends up creating a lot more tension, stress, ego-driven, insecurity-driven conversations or scenarios. I don't know. <laughs> that's what I've been thinking about. So a lot of, I love it. I love it that you're, you're thinking critically about this. I think a lot of the things that came up for me or some of the things that came up for me as you were just speaking, um, 
So one is, I think mediocre thinkers in general like when things are easily categorized because then they're easily digestible and absorbed and people don't have to do as much work Mm -hmm. if you give them the answers in front of their face, right? So oftentimes people want, like this is why we love rom-coms because we know what to expect. It's something that we can anticipate. There probably won't be a bunch of curveballs thrown and uh, it's just easy watching in the background while you're doing some other work movies, mm-hmm. right? You know what I'm saying? Yes. So then in the same sense, if we think about the ways in which maybe folks represent themselves on social media or in the public eye, I think maybe, you know, when you're talking about a brand, I'm thinking the public eye, right? So I'm yes. just going to take that kind of lens on this is when you, when you determine, okay, here is my brand. Here is what I am. I am, you know, cause I, I definitely was in this space, right? Like I am a bikini competitor slash power lifter. Um, this is what I, these are the types of posts I post, like even like my button nails posts or whatever, <laughs> like this is, this is who I am. These are my personal things. My personal brand things fit into this. Mm-hmm. People can expect what they can expect. And then it becomes like easy to follow that type of person because you know what to expect. Mm And I think there's something to be said for sure about being an account on social media or something that um, people can come to for a a sense of consistency. But what's interesting and that what you brought up that I hadn't considered before is the ways in which that type of consistency can oftentimes trap you in some sort of expected behavior. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what you were saying? Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm still just trying to like process it. I think a little bit and, and parse that out because it, right. If you want to be, if you want to be relevant, oftentimes you need to be consistent because it's easier for people to digest. Mm-hmm. But in the same sense, how do you maintain a sense of relevancy and a sense of engagement and excitement to folks because it's easier to digest but also not lose yourself within like the wheelhouse of what you think you are um I'm having a hard time I guess articulating this out loud I'm I'm like my my brain is turning right now um what are your thoughts well it's tricky I mean yeah I see exactly what you're saying I think you have to kind of allow yourself, whether this is a person, an account or a brand, like room to grow. And you almost have to set that precedent. And it doesn't have to be at the beginning because I don't think anyone ever has total foresight into, oh, this is going to be really successful. I mean, at that point, you're just kind of being cocky. So if you're, if you're like making part of your mission, I'm going to grow as I grow my, my follower count or my account or whatever. Um, I I think that kind of defeats the purpose because then it already feels inorganic. But I think if you just, as you start feeling that you're growing or that there are certain inconsistencies um, that are creating a little bit of discomfort, but they're also creating certain positive moments um, that you just acknowledge it, whether it's with other people or with yourself. um, And just to say, is this benefiting me and the people it's impacting? And as long as it is, um, I think that's great. And I think, why not even talk about it? But I think when we do kind of subscribe or self-subscribe to a certain personal brand idea, I think we inherently just create certain limitations. So I think if you start out with a certain theme or a certain idea of what you want to be consistent about, I think you also need to bake in a little bit of ambiguity and room for growth 
just so that if and when it does happen, you're not questioning it in a bad way, but you're questioning it in a positive way. You're questioning it in a way that'll further facilitate growth instead of in a way that'll take you, you know, four steps backwards. It seems really abstract now that I'm saying it out loud. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love it. And I, I wonder too, like, hopefully some of the listeners today, like maybe could share some of their own thoughts, because I think, again, this wasn't maybe something that we had both been right. ready to unpack <laughs> yet, but at least it's opened up a dialogue, right? Because I, now I'm like, wow, like, I guess I've always had this perception that forming a personal brand was like really important and establishing yourself and establishing like who you are and like standing. Cause I think the brand I've tried to establish is maybe like, I will stand for intersectional feminism. Totally. And I like, those are things that I like want to, to, to stand for. But in the same sense, right? Like there've been times where, because I am associated with like being a feminist, mm -hmm. right? Or because like, people know that, or I've, I've projected that kind of maybe persona, which is the truth, right? right? This is authentically who I am. Mm -hmm. In the same sense though, that I, I'm held sometimes to these expectations. Like I, I got this like huge pushback from someone once when I was cutting like before my wedding mm -hmm. and when I was like cutting weight and she was like, you know, you say you're a feminist and yet you're dieting, yada, yada. And I'm like, don't you think that I've understood the ways in which dieting like right. is contextualized through a feminist lens? Like, don't you think I've thought about the ways in which dieting is often seen as an opium for <laughs> like, you know, like people who identify as mm -hmm. women. And like, like I've obviously considered these things. Like I've obviously also made the choice to navigate through that problematic like aspect and also cut, right. like thinking critically about what I'm doing. But it's oftentimes because people see me as like, she's a feminist. Mm -hmm she's dieting, those things don't align, or they don't typically seem, you know, as maybe aligning. And therefore, like, she can't be a real feminist or, you know, and I'm just like, wait, but those things can go together if you're thinking critically, but you haven't given me space to think critically because you just see this one aspect of my feminism, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is so important to stand for things. I mean, I mentioned, you know, I, I definitely like to consider myself an activist politics. I mean, my dad took me to the phone banks for Carrie when I obviously couldn't vote. Um, but that was, I was still phone banking as like, what was that an eighth grader or something? Um, and I still have that button from that election. But I mean, you know, I like to consider myself an activist. I definitely consider myself a feminist, which I actually did didn't always consider myself a feminist just because I'll be honest, I didn't totally know what it meant. Um, and the definition has become really, I mean, I think beautiful and definitely nuanced, especially um, over the past couple of years. But but that's the thing is, it's great to have those certain beliefs and ideals and definitely a level of consistency. But at the same time, when it becomes a personal brand, I think that's when it becomes really limiting because there isn't enough space for critical thinking, or at least for people to allow you the time to think critically and process, like you said, which I think was a really good way to put it, that you had already thought about it, but you didn't share that whole journey and that whole thought process with other people. And that's not necessarily something you should have to do, but it becomes something that you have to do once it becomes part of your personal brand. So it becomes really tricky in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, that's why sometimes, you know, then because you, and this is what you were saying or alluding to earlier is because you've aligned yourself with a particular brand, then you find yourself justifying why maybe what you're doing looks to be, um, disparate from what your brand mm -hmm. is instead of just allowing yourself space to be a bit different here and right. there. Right. Like, um, like recently I, 
like, and I, I, I don't know, I, I won't go into like my own experience. I'd, I'd probably love to hear more from our listeners and the ways in which they maybe they navigate this. Um, cause it doesn't just happen on social media. I think it happens like in life yes. in general, right? Like sometimes we say like this person, you know, stands for this and this and this, but like, I don't understand how they could make this decision based upon that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, huh, it's almost like people contain multitudes. Yes. It's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like people, you know, can oftentimes like not be just monolithic. Yeah. Right? Like, like, oh, that's really interesting. The ways in which people can make decisions that are sometimes contrary to what they would often espouse. Right. Right? Like, I, I, and, and then in the same sense, right? Like we oftentimes, because it's easier to digest people through one myopic lens, when they do fuck up, we are like, unwilling to give them space to either apologize or do better if it is something that's not so good and we're like well what do you want (laughs) like you're calling this person out for now not aligning with what the you know the brand they would typically want to be a part of or or what you'd expect of them and now when they've you know they've messed up like or and they were trying to apologize or do better like you don't even give them the space to do better so it's like so do you like what is it right it's like giving you know, and you know what this is, honestly, this is a lot of what Foucault talks about, mm-hmm. Michel Foucault, in his um, understanding of like, um, like power dynamics mm-hmm. over the body. Because when once you self identify, he, he talks a lot about like, I mean, I'm gonna get on a tangent here, and we no, can I end it soon. It. But um, he talks, so <laughs> he talks a lot about the way, the ways in which, um, like, uh, homosexual culture, mm-hmm. for example, um, or like gay culture was constructed. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, right, people, it's not to say that people weren't gay. They were. It's just that you didn't identify, like, as gay. Like, that wasn't, like, a defining part of your human being, like, or of, like, your personhood. Mm -hmm. It It was something that we constructed. And so Michel Foucault was actually kind of critical of that, not of gay people. He was gay. He had more gay sex than anyone else. <laughs> like he just, he just said like, I don't identify that because the moment you identify, you give the powers that be the opportunity to have power over you and the box in which you've placed yourself in. And that's exactly it. Yeah. And that, and that's this idea of like branding yourself, like literally, like if you imagine like a brand, like a metal brand, you, you've mm-hmm. said like, this is what I am. And now you will view me through this construct and through this schema. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that's, that's wow. I'm, I'm just going through some critical theory right now. <laughs> like, I love it. IRL, my brain is like exploding and I'm, I'm having a hard time. Um, so um, that's the show. I'm going to melt into a pile of um, nothingness now. Uh, but seriously, I love talking to you. You are the best. But Melissa, if other folks want to learn more about you, they want to talk to you, they want to become your best friend, how do they find you? <laughs> I would love that. Open to way more friends. Um, so I have two accounts on Instagram, I guess. Uh, the one is my personal account. I actually think it's probably more interesting a little bit. Not that my life is super interesting, but just I'm, it's not so limited, um, to our previous conversations. So, um, that one is Sphinxy Minxy. Um, I'll, you'll put it wherever. So the spelling is kind of weird. <laughs> yes. And then my like health Instagram, um, is M Mink health. And that has actually changed quite a bit from when I started it, just like most of those, but the whole idea on that one is just to hopefully make health a little bit more accessible to people, whether that's concepts around mental health, physical health, um, intellectual health, whatever it may be. But 
yeah, the personal one, um, I actually am more active on, I'd say. Yeah, so, awesome. I yeah. follow both of them. So yeah, you know, <laughs> and I, and I follow both of yours and I can't keep track of which account I'm in because of that, because it'll always show me yours. I'm like, wait, where am I right now? Um, where is she? <laughs> exactly. But awesome. yes, I mean, you've opened my eyes to so many great resources, podcasts, books, TV shows, et cetera. So I had so much fun being able to actually talk to you. This was awesome. Oh, this was so great. I like, I'm still kind of reeling about like a wow, wow. Wow, you just brought up Michelle Foucault. Um, that's awesome anyways well thank you so much honestly it was a great conversation and listeners again if you want to learn more about Melissa all of her info will be in the description box down below and until next time see you later bye